Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It's great to be with you another Thursday where we have the opportunity to continue to reflect into the richness of our faith. Now, typically, uh, seeing that it is Thursday, we would be talking the stuff of theology of the body, but uh, seeing that today is Thanksgiving Day, at least here in the United States of America, I thought what we could do is offer up a brief reflection on gratitude. Now, in the past, I have spoken a great deal to the history of Thanksgiving Day, and I'm not going to take up all uh, 30 minutes of your time this evening getting into the history of it. I will speak to a few key points historically, but I thought we would be well served to not just talk the stuff of history, but get into what Thanksgiving Day is all about, which in so many ways is about a virtue that I fear is receding uh, from everyday life, and that is uh, the virtue we call gratitude. So with that, let me do make a few historical points, because I do think it is uh, noteworthy that uh, this holiday, and again, remember what a holiday means, it's a holy day, (laughs) Uh, very much is caught up in in Catholic history, and certainly you can stake the claim that the first American Thanksgiving Day was actually celebrated on September 8th, uh, the Feast of the Birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary, in 1565 in St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, What happened there on that day? Well, the Native Americans and uh, Spanish settlers held a feast, and the Holy Mass was offered. This was 56 years before the Puritan pilgrims of Massachusetts. Uh, It was one Don Pedro Menendez who came ashore amid the sounding of trumpets, artillery salutes, and the firing of cannons to claim the land for King Philip II and Spain. Okay, very important because what happened on that day Well, one Father Francisco uh, Lopez de Mendoza uh, chants the Te Deum and presents a crucifix that he then went to ceremoniously kiss. And out from that, the 500 soldiers present, the 200 sailors present, and the 100 families and artisans, along with the Indians, celebrated the holy sacrifice of the Mass in gratitude to God. And you could fast forward and say that the second American Thanksgiving Day happened on April 30th, 1598, when one Spanish explorer, uh, Don Juan de Anate, requested the friars to say a mass of Thanksgiving, after which he formally claimed the land north of the Rio Grande for the King of Spain. What did the men do? Well, The men feasted on duck, goose, and fish from the river. And what happened there soon after was, of course, the Mass. I think it's very important to remember as we're talking about this that the Eucharist itself means what? 
thanksgiving or to give thanks. Right? The body and blood of Christ is uh, the true thanksgiving meal. Okay, so a few historical notes. And if you really want to dig deeper on this, I would direct your attention towards uh, one Taylor Marshall. Uh, Taylor Marshall has a blog where he is reflecting upon the, some of the things that we just talked about. But also, uh, he gets into Squanto, okay, the, the beloved hero of uh, Thanksgiving at Plymouth Rock. Uh, well, it's interesting. He was Catholic. You know, he had been enslaved by the English, but he was freed by Spanish Franciscans. So Squanto uh, received baptism and became a Catholic. So it was a baptized Catholic, Native American, uh, who orchestrated what ultimately became known as Thanksgiving today. So, again, historically, I think, a very relevant. But uh, why <laughs> did these men, upon arriving uh, to this new land, uh, want to give thanks? Why did they uh, express this sacramentally? because their heart was full of gratitude. And I do want to speak to this virtue of a gratitude, because if it hasn't been lost today, I don't know if we are seeing this the way we ought. As I speak to it receding into uh, the distance, what I mean to say is that the way we think about how we give thanks isn't maybe the way we ought to be thinking about how we give thanks. You know, even here, we can perceive a kind of organization of giving which is bound up with our business and consumer trade, which tends to destroy the spontaneity of it. You know, it's, again, Thanksgiving time, and which means Christmas time is on the horizon. And uh, all we need to think of is the mad rush of giving and receiving at Christmas time. What is determining the general sentiment of what we give? Huh? Is it because we have to give? I mean, has giving become something so programmatic that we have forgotten why we give and the essence of the gift itself? Such words as ask and thanks, give and receive, within the context of, of the way we rush at this today, again, I fear it is disappearing into the background. And what is a gift, essentially, has been inserted into a system of expectation. And when we incorporate gift, pun intended there, when we literally incorporate gift, gift INC, we lose gratitude. I think we would all be well served if we stopped this holiday season and asked ourselves some important questions. I mean, have we lost our sense of what it means to ask and thank or uh, to give and to receive. And I, I don't expect much from little ones. They see toys and they're all about it. Yeah, toys. But as, as we mature through the years, we have to appreciate the greatness that is what it means to be grateful. Uh, lest, again, uh, expectation poison gratitude. Here, I cannot help but think of the great parable of the prodigal son. So often when we think about the prodigal son, we think about the father running to his son, or we think about the son coming to his senses as he's feeding from the muck and the mire of, of the pig pen. We often forget about the brother 
And the brother has a very important lesson to teach us that essentially with expectation, there is disappointment. And with disappointment, there is resentment. The elder brother thought that he was entitled to receive something. Okay. And out from that entitlement, out from that expectation, and ultimately disappointment, there was resentment. What was that exchange between the elder brother and the father? He says to the father, this son of yours, he no longer saw his brother as his brother. Because again, he was suffering from that disease of entitlement that pervades the soul. So let us not fall into that trap of expecting something. But let us assume that disposition of giving. Okay, so that being said, what is necessary for gratitude to become possible? And I'm going to draw from a very popular theologian and reflect with him by the name of Romano Gardini. Our emeritus Pope is very high on him. <laughs> very high. He says, read him. And uh, he reflects upon gratitude in such a way where he is looking at what is necessary. And he says this, first and foremost, above all, we can be grateful only to a person. Gratitude and petition are possible only between I and a thou. Right? So, it is between two persons, one of whom is situated so that he has something or can do something, while the other has not or cannot stand face to face. The one asks, and the other is ready. The one gives, and the other thanks. And the two are united by a human tie. Here, gratitude is possible. And ultimately, we can say, as John Paul II says, it is the basis, the fundamental basis for any human community that is going to expand. That's a very strong statement. That gratitude is the fundamental basis for any human community to expand. The church, in her wisdom, has sacramentalized this great truth. How? Because the Eucharist is the sacrament of gratitude. Remember, again, the Eucharist means thanksgiving. Now, we must add, as a Gardini does, <laughs> true gratitude can only exist in the realm of the voluntary. Or we can also say it can only abide in that proper understanding of freedom. The more our attitude toward human affairs approaches our attitude towards mechanical functions, this board regulates traffic, another the conditions of labor, one thing must be done according to the law at this time, another thing at another time, the less room there will be for the free response of the heart which says, thank you. Is this not again the elder brother? Is this not again the brother just making the assumption that this is the way things are done? He is not free to see things as they are. Why? Because there is an absence of gratitude. And now a third condition necessary for gratitude is this. He who gives the gift must do so with reverence for the one 
who receives. Otherwise, he wounds the receiver's self-respect. Have you ever been on the other side of that? We must not give with indifference or hand a gift to the receiver in a condescending way. Or maybe worse yet, to to hand a gift to another in such a way where they see you giving it to them as one who is almost exerting a power over them. You give the gift as as a power play of, of superiority. It must always be done with reverence. A danger for all in social service is the desire to feel their power. For the person in need is what? Weaker. Weaker than the one who helps. And when he thanks for the assistance, he admits his weakness thereby. The one who gives the gift must do so with reverence. What does that word reverence mean? From the Latin, it means fear, honor, respect. To see our brother and sister in Christ as that created in the image and likeness of God, a son and or daughter of God. When we give our gifts with reverence, we see our brothers and sisters as equal in the eyes of God. Okay? So for Gardini, he says this last one, this third condition, oh man, this is dangerous. If the one who helps lets the other feel his superiority, then gratitude dies. And in its place, we find humiliation and again, resentment. How many persons who have received a gift would like to throw the gift into the giver's face? That's kind of a strong statement, Joe. And this is the stuff that Gardini talks about, huh? If that kind of thing is going on, then, well... Is gratitude a part of that exchange? Well, of course not. So, there are three important conditions. That first, gratitude can only exist between an I and a thou. Persons are involved, okay? Subjects are involved. As soon as uh, the consciousness of the personal quality disappears... And the idea of, say, an apparatus prevails, gratitude dies. Second, gratitude can only exist in the realm of freedom. As soon as there is a must or a claim, gratitude loses its meaning. And lastly, gratitude can exist only with true reverence. If there is no mutual respect, gratitude perishes and turns to resentment. Anyone who gives assistance to others should think about this. What's more, giving and thanking, which lift man above the functioning of a machine or the instinct of animals, really echo something of the divine. And so we are to enter into the sacramentality of what gratitude is about. In other words, what does the Eucharist teach us about gratitude? Well, first and foremost, that it is something grace-filled. The Eucharist is grace-filled. The Mass is grace-filled. The word gratitude 
has as its Latin root gratus. What does that sound like? Well, grace. Grazia, grace. Gratitude and grace belong together. They share a root. And that root speaks of what is pleasing, how you esteem one another, what is goodwilled, gratefulness, thankfulness, giftedness, if you will. Right? Well, what is grace? Well, remember what I've said in the past about grace. What is that great ancient root that lies at the heart of grace? The word itself, res. Res. Res is sap. Okay. What is sap? <laughs> sap contains all of the water, uh, nutrients, even hormones of the tree itself. All of the life-giving properties that rightfully belong to a tree. It also protects. That's God's grace. All of his life-giving properties. It actually allows us to share in his very life and his love. What greater way do we share in God's life and in his love than in the Mass? The Mass is the great prayer of gratitude. And so, when we talk about what does the Eucharist teach us about gratitude, well, first and foremost, (laughs) that it is, yes, something grace-filled. That in the first half of our program, we talked about what gratitude looks like. We are only going to achieve true gratefulness if we do it in light of what we're talking about now, that it is something grace-filled. Something else here. I have talked recently about joy a great deal, and I have mentioned and really echoed Benedict XVI when he talks about how, you know, joy is the first proclamation of the New Testament, that angelic salutation from the angel Gabriel to Mary, huh? Rejoice, O highly favored one, or in another translation, hail full of grace, rejoice in grace. Two more words that belong together. What does that mean for us? I think we are discovering a great trinity here, okay? Gratitude, grace, and joy, they all belong together. Why is Thanksgiving, and certainly Advent and Christmas, the season of great joy? Because it is the season of gratitude, huh? It is the season of gratitude. And so we are called to understand that our giftedness, and just not our giftedness, how we give things, but also how we receive them, is an actual sharing in God's very life and love. I believe this to be a very important point to our discussion, especially when we are reflecting upon this great word around a dinner table, huh? (laughs) Very important. What else does the Eucharist teach us about gratitude. Well, what does the cross teach us? Unselfishness. Huh? Unselfishness. We will not be grateful if we have not acquired that disposition of unselfishness. Why? Because what does selfishness do? The more a person seeks himself, many ways, the more he slips away from himself. The more important he considers himself, the more insignificant he becomes. 
The vain, calculating person who lives only for himself thinks that he is attaining a, a, we can say, fuller, stronger selfhood. But what is happening in reality? He is becoming interiorly crippled because he never moves in that free space which only unselfishness creates. I think our culture today lacks gratitude because of what I'm talking about now. As we depart from ourself and give our attention to the other, to the work or to the task, what happens? What happens within our lives? The true self awakens and grows, expands, becomes the best version of who God is calling him to be. That unselfish person is quickly becoming more truly himself the more freely he leaves himself for the other person with whom he is dealing or for the task that confronts him. In other words, when we see that there's always room to work on ourselves, what we quickly begin to discover is that A, first and foremost, we need God, and we become dependent upon his grace because all is grace. We conform our hearts to his, and when we conform our hearts to the heart of Christ— we in turn begin to see as God wants us to see that everyone needs more of God. And part of that needing more of God is how we can share in that great mystery by giving ourselves over to other. Sometimes that means giving a gift. And other times that means saying thank you. It is a beautiful and harmonious thing when both the giver and receiver understand that deeper sense of what it means to live in God, live in his very life and his love, live in his grace, and are in turn grateful for it. Mm. Amen to that. Now, I want to go back to this discussion on unselfishness. You know, earlier I was talking about how a person is more truly himself the more freely he leaves himself for the other person. But this does not mean a complete abandonment of understanding self. To some extent, we can say that unselfishness starts with selfishness. Okay, what do I mean? Well, if we are going to be disposed to serve other, if we are going to be disposed to self-give versus self-get, then we have to be constant in the ways in which God is calling us to be a better version of who God is calling us to be. That means we have to look at the things that we need to work on in our character deficiencies, if you will. We need to conform ourselves to Christ more so as to see as God sees. You've heard me say before in the past that ultimately for there to be new life, there must first be death. There are probably a couple of things in our lives that we are probably too attached to, huh? We need to die to those attachments, Are those attachments maybe a football team, a music group, whatever it may be, that we are so wrapped up in it that we've lost our our, our sense of right and wrong and how we are called to be present to one another? I mean, have you ever been in a room where you're watching a ball game and there's all these people around you and you're so disconnected from the community that you're so caught up in a game that in the end isn't going to determine your salvation? No, 
We need to die to those things that we are too attached to so as to open up to those people around us. And once we acquire that opening up, what have we acquired? That disposition to see what we need to see, how people need us, and how we are called in turn to share in the great mystery of giving. So we need to die to those attachments. We need to be able to identify uh, our weaknesses. What does Paul say? I boast in my weakness because in that weakness, I cling to Christ. And in that cling to Christ, I am made strong. So we must pay attention to what we do. There's a reason why at the end of each and every day, we are called to do an examination of conscience to see how we could do better next time. Huh? No one's perfect. And so we're constantly looking for ways to do whatever it is that you did that day better the next time. We, we need to be constant in examining whether or not we have done the right thing or wrong thing. Have we been wise in our dealings with others? Have we served the purpose of our calling and profession? If we do not do this, then the people around us will have ill feeling, annoyance, and maybe, worse yet, maybe we've done harm to someone and we don't even know it. Huh? Not as I will, but as thou will. What does the Lord say? He that finds his life shall lose it, and he that shall lose his life for me shall find it. Huh? That absolute surrender to the mystery of God. And in that surrender, what do we find? The grace that is necessary to serve him unconditionally. And again, we have so many examples to draw from. I think, of course, of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Our Lady. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary, and what does she say? Not my will, but thy will be done. Behold, I am a handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Her life forever changed because of it. Not my will, but your will be done. Behold, I am a handmaid of the Lord. Are we willing to say those words? Because if we are willing to say those words, that means we have acquired that disposition of absolute surrender, of absolute unselfishness, of that immeasurable, uncalculable yes that ultimately has us going on the great adventure that is the Christian and Catholic faith. And ultimately, when we enter into that adventure, we find ourselves grateful for anything that comes our way, even those difficult things. Even the struggle, even those things that hurt, we see them actually as blessings. Blessings because they draw us deeper into the mystery of God. We can never assume an understanding of how this difficult moment or that difficult moment is actual blessing unless we are rooted in a relationship with God. And so, on this Thanksgiving Day, let us draw from the richness of His grace and in doing so, be mindful that all is grace, and as such, we should be grateful for everything. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 
and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.